When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the 104.6 and 1 podcast. I wanted to start this off really quick with an apology. I've been very consistent with every Wednesday at 8 in the morning, my episodes coming out. Yesterday got a little hectic between work and some afternoon plans with the missus. Uh, Not her fault at all. I just did not prepare for the last minute uh, Taco Tuesday we decided to have. So, you know, I am just going to continue with the consistency, at least of it being recorded on a Wednesday. So all I just wanted to say was, again, my apologies. I did get some text messages about where the episode was and, uh, you know, if uh, if I was going to be posting today and if something was wrong. So with episode 21 being about my NFC predictions for the year, uh, let's get it popping right now. Last week, obviously, I did my AFC predictions and we had an not an amazing, a pretty a pretty decent AFC um, outing on the uh, on that side of the on that side of the conference. The it's weird. I've always said the American Football Conference, the AFC, was a little bit more of a competitive. I can't even say that because Brady dominated the AFC for twenty years. It, it's, <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to lie to myself. Like uh, a lot of people went out of there and uh, and came out of the AFC more often than than New England did. But nevertheless. Uh, the AFC just continues to show pretty much what I said last week. I mean, following up with victories and losses, such as the Jets losing. I mean, it was the Bills, but the Bills continued to do what they do. Um, Colts were off, so I can't really say anything on that front. The Titans ended up losing to Pittsburgh. Uh, Houston loses another heartbreaker, and they just continue to, to suffer under uh, under that coaching staff that had left behind Bill O'Brien. Jacksonville continues to lose. Uh, the Bengals, unfortunately, continue to struggle, and the AFC North continues to be the strongest division in, I, I can't say football, because obviously the NFC West, which I'm going to get into in a few minutes, is the best conference in football, but I mean, I don't think anybody saw the Browns being as good as they've been. Unfortunately, them losing OBJ for the season kind of sucks. That uh, takes attention away from other defenses trying to scheme and plan against him. But the Ravens did sign Des Bryant to their practice squad. If we're going to talk about receiver news, I don't know with him being two or three years out of the league what he's going to be able to do for Lamar Jackson. But nevertheless, he is there. Uh, the Chiefs, did they have a bye? I can't even remember, to be honest with you. I just Week week seven was kind of a blur for me just because the Colts were on a bye. So I didn't really... Yeah, they did play. They dominated the Broncos. Okay, I'm, I'm not crazy. But... Uh, yeah, the AFC pretty much did the same. Uh, Miami had a bye. New England fell down. That's probably the only thing I had wrong. The Chargers, Justin Herbert, like I said, stud, beast, got me 36 points in fantasy. He had, well, he was on my bench because, what was it, Kyler Murray? Yeah, Kyler Murray ended up getting me 34, 35 points to win me and my girlfriend's dad. Uh, a three-game win streak right now. He carried us pretty much the entire way with Kenyon Drake getting hurt that game and possibly losing him for an extended period of time 
But uh, the AFC continues to go and roll out the way that I expected. Pittsburgh being the only team left undefeated. So let's slide on. on t- let's slide <laughs> into the NFC. We're going to start off with the NFC East, the worst conference in football. The absolute crappiest, most inconsistent, most struggling professional conference or not conference division in sports. Like it's, I don't know how it's possible to be so bad. Leading the way is the Eagles at two, four and one followed by the Washington football team at two and five. Then the struggling Dallas Cowboys at two and five and the New York football giants at one and six. I know I've sounded biased for quite some time because I do watch a lot of Eagles games and Philly has become my second favorite football team because of dating my girlfriend and, you know, watching their games pretty much every Sunday with that family. Um, Philly is not terrible. Philly is not the worst team in the league. I know a lot of people say Philly is their record. Philly's record speaks for itself. They tied with the Bengals, but because they tied with the Bengals, they are leading the NFC East, which isn't a difficult feat at 2-4-1, but... I mean, nevertheless, the Eagles have been injury-ridden all season. I mean, they just lost to Sean Jackson possibly for the season. Alshon hasn't played all year. They lost Zach Ertz. They lost um, Dallas Goddard. I mean, you name it, they've lost key players. Miles Sanders has missed games this season. I mean, their offensive line, Jason Peters, uh, Lane Johnson, even even the only one consistent, I believe, is uh, Kelsey, Travis's brother. I think Jason Kelsey, something like that. I can't remember every single player. Um, Their secondary has been a little banged up. And, you know, it's just hard because at full capacity, at full strength, I would probably say that Philly has a at least 500 record just because they are doing the most with the least. Uh, they are t- they took the Pittsburgh Steelers all the way to the last possession. They took the Baltimore Ravens all the way to the last possession. They did barely beat the Giants this past Thursday, but at the end of the day, a win is a win no matter how ugly it is. Uh, I don't really know what's going to happen here. If I had to put, and there goes my father screaming at a show that came out, fucking 50 years ago unbelievable so embarrassing i'm sorry guys um i'm just trying to think of an excuse to put the eagles forward but i can't because you know until they get healthy until they fully reload i don't know what's going to happen i know their schedule is not the most difficult in the world but i do know that they have dallas coming up and then a bye so i don't necessarily understand what's going to happen there um, I am just trying to ignore my father in the background, obnoxiously screaming like he's the only person in the house. I deeply, deeply, deeply apologize for that, guys. Um, so I'm just sitting here and I'm looking and yeah, the Washington football team going back and forth with Kyle Allen and then, you know, Dwayne Haskins being sick and then him getting demoted to third string. I don't know what's going on there. Shout out to Ron Rivera. He went through his last treatment of cancer, I believe it was yesterday. So kudos to him pushing through it, persevering, and showing everybody that it can be done. Uh, you know, coaching a football team, being a father, a husband, and everything else that he has to be responsible for in his community as well as in his own household and locker room just shows, you know, determination, strength, faith. It really can uh, catapult you forward and really help you get through whatever times you need. So big, big kudos to him. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, of course, losing Dak Prescott for the season with the, uh, the broken ankle and the torn tendons in his ankle and then losing Andy Dalton to the blatant, it looked like a pretty dirty hit going forward from John Bostic. Uh, it doesn't seem like a suspension is going to be handed down. He was ejected. So I don't know what's happening there. Um, their third string quarterback is going to have to come in. I don't exactly know who it is. I think it's something rush, uh, 
not that I'm unprepared. I just, I don't know why I didn't pull up the name of the guy, but I saw it on Twitter somewhere. So, I mean, like, their third string is coming in. I don't know how that's going to go against a division rivalry, a, a division necessary winning game. I think Dallas has probably the, one of the worst defenses in the league. They just traded Everson Griffin to the Lions. They just let go of Dontario Poe. So, I mean, I don't know if Dallas is in full reboot mode. Dallas is in full, I guess the season's a wash without Dak. Ezekiel Elliott is obviously not the same. I believe he has four or five fumbles on the season already. I I didn't see that coming. I really thought they were going to just hand the ball off and load it up with Zeke. I mean, Dallas has been coming from behind in pretty much every single game they've played in this season. So I understand why Zeke is suffering. Their offensive line has suffered. They've lost three or four players on that line consistently. Or back and forth, should I say. You know, between ankle, neck, with Tyron Smith... Zach Martin's out, so I mean, I I don't know what's going on in Dallas. They lost their tight end for the season, so Dallas has its fair share of injuries as well. But I mean, they just can't defend the ball. They are just they have. I I'm looking here at points allowed, and in the entire NFC, they have allowed the most points. They have allowed 243 points this season. The closest team behind that is the Falcons, who we all know lives to blow leads, and they have 207 allowed points. So Dallas is pretty bad and without Dak they're even worse so you know get well soon Dak and hopefully Jerry Jones decide to give you the bag Uh, the New York football Giants the hometown team unfortunately they are struggling and only have one more win than the Jets and that is saying a lot considering how bad the New York Jets are the coaching staff of the Giants to me is significantly better with the play calling and experience of Jason Garrett Joe Judge is it's he seems to hold a a very uptight and you know put together locker room he doesn't seem like he lets a lot of things go um earlier in the season that just is emphasized with the report of him I believe him and Saquon got into a disagreement and he made Saquon run gassers and I mean like you make one of the best players in the NFL as a first-time head coach run gassers that's pretty wild to me and that just you know kind of put his foot down right in the dirt and said yo I don't care who you are if you disrespect me if you don't believe in what we're doing here we don't need you here or you're gonna run and he made Saquon run that day so I don't think it's Joe Judge's fault I would probably say it's the GM's fault they are not really putting a lot of teams or should I say they're not putting a team together well enough around Saquon and Daniel Jones especially in drafting the left tackle out of Georgia Uh, was it Georgia I never remember where he came from. I always say Georgia, but I know it's from the SEC, but uh, he definitely did not belong on that team. He was definitely drafted way too high, in my opinion, and he is probably the most dominated left tackle in football because I watched that whole Eagles game, and he legitimately got burned every single play, and I was right. He is the left tackle out of Georgia, Um, Andrew Thomas. He was overdrafted. He has not played out well. He has not looked up to par. He does not look like he deserves to be there. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. That is Daniel Jones' blind side. Uh, the signing of Devontae Freeman seems to have not backfired. It hasn't really done anything for them. But I don't I don't necessarily know what's going to happen. If they continue to fall behind the way that they do, I don't know if that offense is going to be able to catapult itself forward. You have Evan Ingram dropping passes. You have uh, Darius Slayton um, being double covered because he has kind of emerged as the lead number one with Sterling Shepard out. But Sterling Shepard came back this week and showed promise and found a way to get open in the end zone to put the Giants up late in the game. But that was not enough. And the Philadelphia Eagles ended up coming back with a pretty amazing throw by Carson Wentz and an even better catch by Boston Scott in the corner of the end zone. So shout out to them. That was a 
decently entertaining game on a Thursday night, not only because I was invested in watching my girlfriend's team, but because it just went down to the literal wire. Um, yeah, the Giants, again, they're also injury-ridden. You know, they Saquon's gone for the year. They have lost some people on defense as well. They just traded Marcus Golden back to the Arizona Cardinals. So, I mean, you name it, they are struggling. They're going through it. I don't know if they're in a rebuild mode. I don't know if they're going to go through the ruts all over again. But that entire NFC East division is just an entire dumpster fire of nonsense. So, you know, God bless them. Hopefully they figure it out. I hope everybody other than the Dallas Cowboys figures it out because someone's got to come out of the division. And if this ends up being another 7-9 and team like the Seattle Seahawks did, Back in what, 2011, 2010, when Marshawn Lynch had that super big run back in the day. Um, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's. Yeah, I, I just. I, I'm trying to think, and I don't think that there's going to be any swing unless they get everybody back within the next, like, two, three weeks. Because Philly has a bye after this week. So I don't know. Um, I got to get off this topic because the NFC East, as much as I cheer for the Eagles, it's just so bad. Um, and transitioning into the best division in football the nfc west starting at the top the seattle seahawks are five and one the arizona cardinals are five and two the la rams are five and two and the san francisco 49ers are four and three this is where it gets very interesting the seattle seahawks lost a thriller on sunday night to the arizona cardinals both quarterbacks played tremendous obviously russell wilson probably had the worst game of the season a worst game of his season with three interceptions the last one being the most costly. Obviously, Arizona went down the field and kicked the field goal to win the game. But nevertheless, the tandem of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins seems to be paying off quite well. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury just seems to be doing what he said he was going to do, and that's molding Kyler Murray into a incredible quarterback and MVP candidate so far in this season, in my opinion, um, especially because I have him in fantasy and the man is balling out. So I, I, I don't want to sleep on them. I don't know what's going to happen in this division because it is so tight. Obviously, Jared Goff and that team, we all know what Sean McVay can do with that offense. You know, Cooper Cup, uh, Robert Woods, uh, their tight end group back there, their, their running back core back there as well, their their committee, should I say. And uh, that defense, man, I don't, I don't Aaron Donald, all them boys, Jalen Ramsey, they are just, they're balling out. They are doing what they need to do, uh, obviously, they are competing heavily in the NFC as as best as a lot of other teams could. I mean, we're looking at five and two. I want to say only one other team in the conference has a better record than five and two. Not even. Everybody's five and two or five and one. Seattle's coming up on a bye. Or Seattle had their bye already, should I say. So the NFC's locked up pretty tight all the way through. And I mean literally, when I get to the next division, you'll you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, the 49ers, we all thought that that season was pretty much done. Jimmy G rolling his ankle. That running back committee back there with Mostert, McKinnon, this new guy Smith that came out of nowhere that just got hurt. I mean, everybody's banged up. Every single person you can think of is, is hurt, and they're finding ways to win games. And I mean win games handedly. They slapped up the Giants. Yes, we all know it's the Giants. They just slapped up the Patriots. So, I mean... They're not scraping W's. I mean, those two games combined, they scored over maybe 70 points, 65 plus. So, I mean, they're doing what they need to do against bad teams and they're winning games and the defense is doing what they need to do and holding them accountable, holding them, you know, holding them together. Richard Sherman isn't coming back until week 11. D Ford isn't coming back until week 11. Nick Bosa's out. Solomon Hill, not Solomon Hill. I keep getting Solomon 
something out of Stanford. I forget. He was like a third or fourth overall pick a few years back. He tore his ACL. He's done for the year. So they're getting it done somehow, some way. They're competing. They're fighting in the in the in the harder conference that this year that is the NFC, and they're uh, that division is going to be tough. Uh, I mean, if I I'm going to say this confidently, if Seattle doesn't ship up and figure out that defense, the Cardinals will take that division. I don't know how far they'll go in the postseason. With the youth of that roster, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald on the offensive side of the ball having playoff experience, but aside from that, uh, it's all going to come down to Kyler Murray and how he plays. That defense is doing just enough. Marcus Golden will be inserted right back into the defense this coming this coming uh, week, or should I say the week after the bye that they have this week. So, I mean, the pass rush is going to be there. Uh, we all know the secondary is there with Butter Baker and Patrick uh, Patterson, Patrick Peterson, excuse me, and... I, I, that's that's going to be my early favorite, my early pick for the NFC West because Seattle's defense just cannot stop a cold. They are just letting teams run it up. I mean, they let da- they let Dallas come back, they let uh, Arizona come back. They just they have no pass rush. Their secondary is, I would say, their strength somewhat, maybe, but I would have to go with their linebacking core to be their most positive. Obviously, Bobby Wagner being one of the best linebackers in football. KJ Wright. Uh, Jamal Adams has been out for the last couple of weeks with a groin injury, so I don't know what's happening there. Maybe when they get him back and the addition of Carlos Dunlap today, the Bengals traded uh, him to Seattle today for a seventh-round pick as well as an offensive tackle. So I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. Uh, Again, the Rams can make a run as well. The Rams have the least allowed points in the NFC. The Rams have 124 points allowed. That's it. That's pretty impressive considering we are seven weeks into the season so I don't know I'm very excited I'm very curious to see what happens in the NFC um sliding into the NFC North once again another competitive division as far as the first two teams the Green Bay Packers are five and one and the Chicago Bears are five and two coming off uh, an embarrassing loss on Monday Night Football so I don't know if Nick Falls is going to be able to get it together in time for the Bears to turn it around and compete for the division um Aaron Rodgers is just Aaron Rodgers. They're looking to trade for Will Fuller. By the way, the trade deadline is coming up and it's approaching. I don't recall if it is sometime this week. Actually, give me a second. I can look it up right this very moment. Trade deadline. That is November 3rd, so that is next week. So we have one week away to figure out where certain teams are going to move, or should I say where certain players are going to move, what teams are going to make moves for role players. Like I just said, the Packers are looking into Will Fuller. There is no confirmed source that says it's official, but they would like to bring him in to compliment Devontae Adams, who, by the way, absolutely, positively, just destroyed in his first game back. Or should I say first or second game back? I can't even recall. The man went for almost 200 yards, two touchdowns. It's incredible. He had 75% of Aaron Rodgers' total yards. I mean, you name it, the man can do it. Probably one of the best top three, if not, you know, you can make the argument, top route runner in football next to Amari Cooper, Julio Jones. I mean, it, it's crazy what the man can do when healthy because that tandem, that combination is just uncanny probably one of the best tandems in the NFL. And I mean, that's a lot of people comparing, especially because, like I said, that DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray link up, it looks pretty crazy. Obviously, you have the uh, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins. You have the upcoming rookie, even Justin Jefferson. You have the the, 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 the incredible 
offense that is coming up in Tampa Bay with Antonio Brown now signing with the Buccaneers, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski finally waking up. I I don't know. I don't know. There's there the NFC is just stacked this year and I don't know how we're going to be able to get all of these teams into the playoffs because it's only going to get tighter and tighter and tighter as the season goes on. So Green Bay obviously has the advantage with them not having a bye yet. So we will see what happens. I am very curious to see how they are going to recover from this Aaron Jones injury. Obviously, they have Jamal Williams in the backfield, but you know Aaron Jones is a very key, a very big piece in that offense. Uh, the defense is okay. I haven't really watched that many Green Bay games. Obviously, their one loss was pretty big against the Buccaneers, another team that they're going to have to compete against in the NFC if they want to get through into the Super Bowl. So that was pretty handedly an ass whooping. And I mean like ass whooping, it was 38 to 10. Their defense couldn't stop a thing and their offense just could not get it going. I believe A-Rod had three picks himself. So (laughs) I really don't know what's going to happen in that regard. But I mean, slotting over into Chicago, I mean, the Bears, like I said, they just had an embarrassing loss this past Monday night against the Rams. That Rams defense just absolutely annihilated Nick Foles. He could not get anything going. That Bears defense tried to keep them in the game for as long as possible, but that Rams offense just kind of did what they needed to do, and they made sure that they they won that game. I mean, Jared Goff did what he needed to do, 219, two touchdowns. Their running backs, they, that committee, they needed to do what they – or should I say they did what they needed to do as well, you know, 64, 57, 23, 16 yards combined as a team. So, I mean, Nick Foles just – I don't know. He just didn't look like he was prepared – that Rams defense made sure that they got to him really quickly. And I mean, you name it, everybody was there for them. So once again, that just goes to show how competitive this NFC really is with the Rams in the West, the Bears in the North. It just, <laughs> I don't know, man. Leonard Floyd had two sacks. Justin Hollins had a sack. Aaron Donald had a half a sack. Greg Gaines had a half a sack. So the Rams are getting it done. The Rams are finding ways to be dominant on that side of the football so that conference or should I say excuse me I keep saying conference I don't know why that division is tough uh Detroit is no team to sleep on they're a team that continues to come from behind they're a team that is always disrespected and always ignored in the season but they always find a way to stay relevant in the last couple of years so I mean the Detroit Lions are three and three again they're nobody to sleep on uh obviously Matthew Stafford is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL uh, Kenny Galladay is probably one of the better younger receivers in the league when healthy. You have Marvin Jones out there. Uh, TJ Hawkinson is out there doing what he needs to do as well. They're running the ball with, with Swift coming out of Wisconsin. They're running the ball with Adrian Peterson when Swift isn't there. Carry on Johnson. So, I mean, that team is solid. I don't know if they're going to be able to make a run this season, but they are trending in the right direction. So, the Detroit Lions fans, after all these years, I would say your your win now window is within the next two to three years before Stafford starts to decline because they are finding ways to go out there and win games and make it and make it their business to say, yo, we're, we're still here. We're not the 0-16 team that we were all those years ago. We're going to make a fight in this division. Minnesota Vikings, I mean, unfortunately, they are just not living up to expectations. Kirk Cousins is just continuing to show why he cannot handle the load and be the superstar, if not the best player on his team. Um, Justin Jefferson is overshadowing the fact that this offense cannot move without Dalvin Cook. Um, Dalvin Cook is showing me that I need to stop making stupid assumptions about players that have previously been hurt. 
Obviously, the data typically sides with me in terms of you giving a running back a contract that they did for Dalvin, him not lasting as long as he did coming off of multiple injuries in his lower half. Running backs don't last as long as they used to, so I mean, I don't know. I really don't. So, I mean, without Dalvin Cook, they're just going to continue to struggle. They're on a two-game skid right now. I mean, Kirk Cousins has struggled, to say the least, like I just said. I mean, Justin Jefferson and Thielen are doing everything they can to keep that offense relevant. But, I mean, if Kirk can't read the defense and if Kirk continues to make mistakes, I don't know I don't know how long Zimmerman's going to be able to stay with him. I get that contract is 100% guaranteed for the most part, but they're going to start needing – they're going to start – needing to look elsewhere for quarterback because for a quarterback because it's just it doesn't seem like it's panning out Zimmerman obviously is coming back next year with him signing a one-year extension or if they they're the, the Vikings are bringing him back I forget if it was a team option or something like that uh the defense obviously is hurting without bar they lost Griffin uh Everson should I say Griffin this past offseason so I, I don't know what's happening there um I'm concerned to say the least. Uh, shout out to my friend Kevin and Darian, who are Vikings fans. Oh, and shout out to my boy Jared, of course. How could I? How could I forget that? Um, I know that they're not happy. Obviously, Stefan Diggs looks like he made the right decision going out there to Buffalo and requesting for that trade because Buffalo is leading that division at what is it five and two, something like that. What, what did I just talk about last week? Yeah, five and two. They lead the AFC East, and. <laughs> The Vikings are at the very bottom, looking as bad as the NFC East. Obviously, they're not the only team that is one and something, but they are definitely one of the worst ones down there because they just can't seem to get it together every week. Uh, Moving over to the NFC South, which I thought would be the most competitive division this year, aside from the Falcons. Uh, the Buccaneers are five and two, starting from the top. The Saints are four and two. The Panthers are three and four, losing a neck, or should I say, a, a close heartbreaker last week. And then the Falcons, obviously, falling on their own sword once again, with Todd Gurley falling into the end zone when everybody knows that he should have fell short to continue to drain the clock. And we all know what happened after that. Detroit drove down the field and won the game at the last second. So. Again, I'm going to start at the top. The Buccaneers, like I said, they would reload. They would come back. They would figure this out. And did they figure it out? Yes, the fuck they did. They did more than figure it out. They signed Antonio Brown after Bruce Arian said he did not want that drama, that attention in the locker room. Uh, According to multiple reports, because of the fact that Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, losing O.J. Howard, and that offense kind of being banged up, Leonard Fournette on and off, um, they said that maybe... The addition of Antonio Brown would assist them offensively so they weren't struggling early in games. And so they continued to divide the ball evenly and, you know, create mismatches across the field. I mean, if you really ask me, you have three Pro Bowl receivers. A.B. hasn't had a full season of football in the last two years. He's fully healthy. If his head and his mouth can keep him out of trouble, I think if he just focuses solely on football, this definitely puts Tampa Bay in a perfect situation, so to speak, because they are now... Rolling offensively, you add A.B., who already has some repertoire with with Tom Brady from last season with the few weeks that he practiced and worked with them. I don't know if he's going to be able to pan out and keep his mouth shut, so we'll see what happens. Bruce Arians is a coach that doesn't tolerate any bullshit, so, I mean, if if it goes away, I'm pretty sure he'll just say get out. But if A.B. can play up to potential, up to par, I think that he compliments Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Rob Gronkowski very well because... You're going to have to really pick your poison here. Do you leave A.B. one-on-one? Do you leave Chris Godwin one-on-one? Do you leave Mike Evans one-on-one? 
do you leave Gronkowski over the middle one-on-one? It's a literal pick-your-poison. This is the greatest offense that Tom Brady has ever had in his whole career, and I know he's literally licking his fingers like, I am so excited. I'm pretty sure he has 18 total touchdown passes this season, so I know that he is proving all of his haters wrong, including myself. I did pick Tampa to go out there and win the division. Oh, no, I didn't, actually. I'm pretty sure I picked the Saints. Yeah, I think I picked the Saints. I'm pretty sure I picked the Saints. Um, So he's proving me wrong as well. I didn't think he had this much left in him. I genuinely thought it was going to be the system in New England that that worked for him. I didn't know he was going to have a season like he is now. I didn't know the defense was going to turn around and be one of the top defenses in the league. So... I don't know. I'm going to continue to predict. As of right now, like I said, the prediction for me in this division is going to be Tampa to win, and I think that they win handedly. New Orleans just doesn't seem like, to me, they're winning convincingly enough. They're winning games, but all of them are nail biters. Um, Drew Brees, again, doesn't look like himself. Michael Thomas is supposedly on the trade block, and I want to talk about that really quick. How does one of the NFL's most prolific offensive stars go from a $100 million contract, go from breaking Marvin Harrison's all-time receiving or, or receptions record in a season, go from a 99 overall in Madden to playing one game, rolling his ankle severely on a play where he shouldn't have even been on the field, to being suspended from the team like he didn't play a game because he punched uh, Chauncey Gardner-Williams or uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Johnson, Gardner, whatever. He punched a teammate in the face in practice, and he was removed from the active roster that day, and he didn't play that game. And then he tweaks his hamstring in the following week, and now the rumors are circulating for him to be on the trade block. So, I mean, he must be some kind of nuisance. He must be some kind of head case in that locker room for Sean Payton to say, yo, you got to get out of here. Obviously, one of the best players when healthy in the NFL and for you to shop him midseason after he signed that contract a few years back just baffles my mind. So it must be a lot worse than what we're seeing in the media. It must be a lot worse than what the media is portraying. So his value in fantasy is fucking dropping, which is terrible because I have him in fantasy. Me and Isabel's dad have him. He was our first pick at number 10. And we thought we were pretty set with him falling 10 slots and he has literally got a zero points every single fucking week since we got him and if he gets traded depending on where he goes it may even get worse so I don't know I really don't know what's going to happen there the Carolina Panthers were kind of a sleeper team for me I thought Teddy Bridgewater and CMC were going to really kind of come out of nowhere and uh you know play competitive play tough games like they have been I mean CMC has been hurt for the majority of the year Mike Davis has come in and filled that void for uh for a solid couple of weeks and he's been great uh, Robbie Anderson is actually one of the top leading receivers in the NFL in total yards, which I would have never predicted him coming from New York. Not that he's a bad player, but it's just kind of random that he's up on that list. That's just somebody I would have never expected. Again, no disrespect to him, but it's just not a player you would have really like, you know, go to Vegas. I'm going to put money on Ro- Robbie Anderson to go out there and lead the NFL in receiving yards next season. Like people would have been like, what? They'd probably be a very rich man right now. But once again, um, just not a player you'd expect to step up at a time like this. Again, they're losing heartbreakers. They're, they're coming into games, and they're just kind of like struggling. Obviously, they went and lost to the, to the Saints 24-27. Bears 23-16. Uh, the Falcons, they won that game. But, I mean, once again, like I've said in previous weeks, lost to the Chargers by five points. 
Uh, I think it lost to the Raiders by four points. The Buccaneers are probably the only team that beat them by double digits. So, I mean, they're playing competitive football. They're without their best player. And Teddy's doing everything in his power to keep them in games. But, you know, without CMC in that backfield to do both jobs that he does in receiving and running that football, uh, it does get a little difficult to just put it all on Teddy Bridgewater. And the Atlanta Falcons, the choke artists, the... Not the worst team in football, obviously, because the Jets are still in the league. But, I mean, if I had to put a second, I would probably say it's the Falcons because they are the only team in NFL history in my mind. I know it's not an actual statistic, but it's like they've been up by 15-plus in like three or four games this season, and they've blown all of them. Like, And I mean like every single one of them. Dan Quinn hasn't been there in two weeks, and they have they just look slow. They won the game before that. They won the game before last week. And I want to say that game was, what was that? Where is that? That was a handed ass whooping against the Vikings. And once again, I, as I mentioned, the Vikings are horrible in their, in their own right. So, I mean, they beat a, a bad team, which, you know, if you're decent, you should beat a bad team. Um, and, but then they lost, like I said, Todd Gurley was instructed by Matt, you know, get the first down, fall, keep the clock running. Todd Gurley, for whatever reason, slept walk into the end zone and Detroit went down the field and scored. So I don't know what's happening there. That offense should not be as bad as they are. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, Todd Gurley, Matt Ryan. You, it just doesn't make sense. You have two Pro Bowl receivers, a Pro Bowl potential all-pro tight end, in my opinion, in Hayden Hurst when healthy. Obviously, a former MVP in Todd Gurley who was showing out this season to be a top 10 running back in the league statistically. It's crazy. They're just, they can't get it done. Their, their defense is the second worst defense in the NFL in terms of points allowed on in the NFC. Excuse me. Like I said, the Cowboys have allowed 243 and the Falcons are at 207. So it's, excuse me, it's, it's, it's bad. And it's not that they're not scoring. I mean, they have 184 points scored. What do we got? The Buccaneers have 222. The Packers have 197. The Cardinals and the Seahawks both have 203. They're up there. They're like, top am I doing math wrong am I am I slow I would say top six in scoring in the NFC so it's not like they're 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 not putting the ball in the end zone they just are not winning games and that defense is not helping Uh, I don't know if the coaching carousel over there the coaching turnaround midseason is is affecting them in any way but it definitely doesn't seem like they're going to be able to turn it around anytime soon so they'll be in the top five of the draft for quite some time there were some speculations that Matt Ryan was in the block Julio Jones was on the block, but Julio put that to rest, I believe, today or yesterday that, you know, he knows what he's worth in in Atlanta. He knows what he means to them, and he plans to stay in Atlanta. We've all heard players. We've all heard GMs. We've all heard head coaches say the same thing. I tend to not believe a single fucking thing until the actual trade deadline comes and passes because OBJ and the Giants said that it wasn't happening. Bang. He got traded to the Browns. You know, the Dolphins didn't want to trade Jarvis. Boom. He went to the Browns. So I'm not going to sit here and, and wonder who's going to go where. I'm going to wait as the dominoes fall. Dunlap was one of the first pieces to go. A 10-year veteran, former Gator. Shout out to the Gators. They're scheduled to play Mizzou this upcoming Saturday. But who knows what's going to happen as cases continue to populate throughout the entire college football realm. Wisconsin obviously closing all of their facilities. Wisconsin closing and canceling games and won't be rescheduled. The first of many schools to just completely shut it down. I don't know. Um, getting back on topic, sorry. I tend to uh, I haven't been distracted like that in a little bit. 
But, uh, yeah, the Falcons are going to be up there for a while. And um, Dunlap going to Seattle might help a slight bit to get some pass rush depth. Them losing Jadavion Clowney this past offseason did really hurt them. I thought that he was going to go back. But him going to Tennessee seems to be panning out. They only have one loss on the season, and that was a, a very close game. So, I mean, that's my NFC wrap-up. Once again, if I had to predict my final prediction in terms of division winners, I got Philly winning the division probably at 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight at best. I got Arizona winning that division at about 10-6, 11-5, maybe even... Mm, yeah, I would say 11-5 and five for Arizona, and that's going to come down to the wire between the Rams and the Seahawks. I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't know their schedules to a T. So I think the youth, the mobility, uh, the offensive cylinders that they're firing on right now, I just think that Arizona is really going to find a way to, to, to finally overcome the Seahawks. Um, that defense for Seattle, like I just said, if they don't step it up, they are going to struggle. They are not going to win. The Rams are a dark horse candidate. They could come out of nowhere. That offense could start clicking like their Super Bowl year, and that defense is just dominating on all sides. So who knows? Um, but I would definitely say, once again, Arizona wins. Seattle gets the wild card. Uh, I'm going to say the Packers are going to win. I don't know if Nick Foles has enough in it. I think Aaron Rodgers is playing incredible football. And if they pull off that Will Fuller trade, I think that that is going to be one hell of a scary offense with the speed demon that Will Fuller is. And Devontae Adams on the other side as well. Uh, Chicago, unless they get their head out of their ass and they realize that they need to run the football more, obviously they have David Montgomery and he is not doing anything that he needs to be doing. Fantasy-wise, he's scoring double digits, but you know, running back production, NFL production, he's not really doing much other than maybe 50 to 60 yards per game, and that just doesn't cut in the league to win games. Uh, as I said a few moments ago, the lines are trending up, just not enough to, to squeak in. I would say that the Buccaneers win the division. Um... Oh, wow, I didn't even predict a record for the Packers. I'd say the Packers go about 12-4. and four. Yeah, 12-4. and four. And then the Bears possibly go maybe 10-6, and six, depending on how that goes the rest of the way. Uh, I got the Buccaneers winning their division at, once again, 12-4 and four, because they got to play the Saints one more time also, and they got to play the Panthers again, and they are just tough players. They are just tough, tough, tough opponents. 12-4, and four, Saints 10-6, and 11-5. and five. Uh, Panthers probably going to go maybe 9-7, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, CMC did miss a lot of time. It's going to take some time for him to get acclimated to the offense again, and uh, who knows what happens if Teddy can, can continue to, to ride that consistently. So obviously the top seed that I have predicted in the NFC would be the Bucks. Then I would have the Packers. Then I would have the Cardinals. Then the Eagles would be at four. I would say the Seahawks or the Rams squeak into the wild card spot, if not both spots, depending on how the Bears go, um, and maybe even depending on how the Saints go, because, again, that NFC West division is just something else it's just, it's just a erotic division with four dominant teams three of them being favorites as opposed to the 49ers uh I don't know what's gonna happen I really don't obviously that format adding another team to the wild card is just a an interesting format so I'm very curious to see how it goes throughout the season but it just it just shows that the the NFC is just a more dominant division this season I mean it's we have one division in the AFC that is as competitive, if not not even as close as competitive as that, as the uh, NFC East, and that's the AFC, uh, the NFC West, as opposed to the most competitive conference being the AFC North, with the Steelers being six and zero, Ravens five and one, Browns five and two, and unfortunately the Bengals still being there. So I still say that the West and the NFC's portion is the most competitive because the San Francisco 49ers are above 500. So, I mean, 
if you're really looking at it plot for plot, point for point, I just think that the NFC West is just way more dominant. And I mean, by a mile, I mean, you have so much more competition on that side. Obviously, the the Chiefs are, are winning their division by three games. The Bills are only up by two games, and that's because the Dolphins had a bye week this week. The Ravens are only up by one game, and then the Browns are close right behind at a game and a half. The Colts are one game behind the Titans. So, I mean, like, every, it, and then the other two teams in our division are, are one and six. You know, the Bengals are one and five. The Chargers and Broncos are both two and four. The Jets are 0 oh and seven. The Patriots are two and four. The it's like a scattered NFC East in the AFC. There's so many bad teams, and there's just very little front runners to actually go up top, and that is the division-dominant leaders in each division. Like I said, um, for the South and the AFC, Titans are 5-1, Colts are 4-2, the rest of the division, poop. AFC North, I already went through that. AFC West, Chiefs 6-1, and one, Raiders 3-3. Three and three. But again, that's a three-game lead, so there's that goes. Um, and the Bills, like I just said a few seconds ago, they're five and two. The Dolphins are three and three. That's a game and a half as well. So I mean, who knows? Tua slides on up. Maybe they can catch the Bills. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But that NFC, man, I don't think I've ever seen a conference just so utterly dominant in almost every fashion. Um, I'm excited to see how the rest of the season goes. I cannot wait. Uh, I'm trying to think. I had another point to make about the NFC, but I think I'll just let it go. Uh, congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers bringing a World Series championship back to L.A. So, I mean, the Lakers won the NBA Finals. The Dodgers have won the World Series. So, L.A. won two titles, thankfully, you know, because I did not want to see <laughs> the Tampa Bay Rays go out there and win that series for my biased and horrible reasons as a caster. Um I don't really care because I am a Yankees fan till I die, and I will not support anybody to win, especially after they beat my team, as petty as it sounds. Uh, there is actually an a ongoing investigation. Justin Turner apparently tested positive in the eighth inning of the World Series game that he partake partook in, and he was mandated to leave the game and immediately isolate. So the MLB instructed him that he needed to isolate for safety and team safety. And then the Dodgers proceeded to win the World Series. Justin Turner not only ignored protocol, ignored security, and ignored every single human decency in terms of knowing you have COVID. He didn't care whatsoever. He wanted to celebrate with his team without a mask. He kissed his wife. Um, obviously already played eight innings in the World Series. No one knows how long he was actually positive for. And the media is really bashing him. And I want to just make a quick point about this. So the MLB is supposedly in a bubble, as I use air quotes with my fingers, right? But they weren't separating the teams. They weren't separating them in different rooms or, you know, different wings or, or, or whatever. They They were in the same hotel. Why did you not separate them as if they don't have money as if the state of California doesn't have any other hotels so yes Justin Turner is very negligent and irresponsible for knowing he had it to put other people's lives at risk but we need to stop blaming the players for the situation and start thinking about the MLBPA and how they went about organizing this whole thing and we're going to start looking at Rob Manfred for for a lot more because as I've said earlier this 
baseball season and, and earlier this summer when the ruling for the Astros and the Red Sox came out to be nothing but bullshit. If you're going to go out there and start to start a bubble, create a bubble or try to, you know, maintain player safety, how are you going to put multiple teams in the same hotel? Once again, I'm not defending Justin. The second you find out you're positive, you need to do everything in your power to stay away from your teammates because if someone gets sick or, God forbid, dies, that's on you, bro. Like, that is 130% on you for continuing to put them in danger. Playing without knowledge of being positive, 1,000%. How are you going to go and be positive and then kiss your wife? How are you going to go out there, hold the trophy, and continue to spread it? You know, just because... You have it and you were talking around your teammates. It doesn't 100% guarantee that every single one of them got it. But you're all in a group picture. You're all huddled up around each other. Yes, you may be asymptomatic, but you are positive for COVID-19. You went out there and you still celebrated with them. Not a smart decision. Not a responsible decision. And I really hope nothing happens. I really hope the Rays and the Dodgers completely as organizations are okay. Uh, but Justin Turner is going to need to see some discipline for that because that is just complete irresponsibility. But... That does not take away from the irresponsibility of the MLB and how they handled the situation of the bubble. The NBA had a bubble for months. It worked. Not one single positive case. The MLB has a damn bubble. And the, in the last game of the World Series, how does a positive result come in the eighth inning? Like, I don't understand what they're doing. Like, aren't they supposed to have results within a few minutes? Like, they have rapid testing for random everyday people like myself. We're talking about professional athletes with millions of dollars backed from the the MLB. And you get a positive result three hours into the game. It just doesn't make sense. Something seems off. It just seems irresponsible. They did not handle it appropriately. And then finding out the players are staying in the same hotel. Should I say teams are staying in the same hotels with one another just... It didn't. It did not make sense. That's not isolation. That's not you know keeping players safe. I don't know what happened. We don't have the full detail. Obviously, this investigation just started last night because the World Series just ended yesterday. So I don't know what's going to happen there. But my mind is definitely still trying to wrap around the fact that that happened. You know, it's still trying to figure out how a multi-billion-dollar corporation that is Major League Baseball went out there and let this happen the way that it did. So, I mean, I really hope we figure things out. I really hope that things are figured out sooner than later. Um, as I stated in regards to college football, uh, Wisconsin shut all team activities down as an outbreak in COVID seemed to happen on their staff and on in their locker room. So the Big Ten, with one week of playing, seems to already be in jeopardy. Uh, the Gators continue to find positive cases, so... I don't know what's going to happen with college football. They do not have the funding like the NFL does, so I don't know if those students are going to be okay. I don't know if they're going to can the season. I don't know if they're going to make sure all of these people are safe before another game. I I just... (laughs) You can't predict COVID. You can only do so much. And then, you know, when you ask a bunch of college kids to try to remain safe when they're already stuck in their dorms with no interaction with a lot of people, and then, you know... You're back on campus. You're a Division One athlete. People want to go out. People want to party. They're 18 to 22 years old, not really thinking about the consequences. So I just, I have no idea. I don't know what's going to happen with the NCAA. Um, NCAA, obviously, uh, NCAA basketball is supposed to come back in the next month. So I don't know if this is going to have an effect on them as well. But we'll see. The, the, only, the only thing we have is time. Uh, big shout out, I know he's not going to hear this because he doesn't listen to sports, uh, nor does he really give a shit, but uh, shout out to my tattoo artist, Will. Um, 
he really did some amazing work. He gave me my first half sleeve, you know what I'm saying? Like he went all in depth. He did it all. He got my fairy tale Ten Row Island about a month ago and then he put in three of all three of Zoro's swords. He put in um Trafalgar Law sword, he put Ace's hat, the beads he put in the quote that I've loved and lived by my whole life. Blood makes you related. Loyalty makes you family on my tricep. I mean, it's beautiful. I love it. It's it's everything I wanted. I have Kakashi shouting gun as the sun. I got clouds. <laughs> I don't know why I'm bragging about my tattoo on my podcast, but I don't know, man. I just I wanted to share it with the world. I just I love it. It's incredible. If you want to see it, let me know. <laughs> I'll show it off. I sound like I'm five. Like I just got a brand new Game Boy game, but... Yeah, that's pretty much it, man. I'm out here just living life, trying to stay as safe as possible. Cases are growing up once again. Uh, I can only speak for Florida, but uh, it seems that you know the state's going to continue to reopen no matter what. So I just seriously encourage everybody, you know, with the election coming up, go vote if you already haven't. Um, do what you need to do. Do your civic duty. Do what you need to do in terms of safety for yourself. It goes to show with Justin Turner testing positive. Professional athletes aren't aren't gods either. They can get it. Uh, the president got it. So, I mean, everybody just needs to stay safe, stay aware, and uh, do everything in your power to keep your loved ones close to you, man. Just, it's a dark time in the world, and I just want everybody to be safe. So, with all that, I'm signing off. This is episode 21. Uh, please follow the 104.601 podcast on Instagram. Repost, share, retweet, like, everything you can. I'd really appreciate it. All the support I can possibly get. Thank you to all those, once again, those loyal people that listen every week that uh, hit me up to make sure everything was cool today, even though I didn't podcast, even though I didn't post the podcast. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'll be seeing y'all next week. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric acid.